From ThatShelf.com, this is Black Hole Films. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. What's a black hole film, you ask? Well, you know those films you always meant to get around to watching, but you never did for whatever reason? Well, that's what they are. And this podcast is all about embracing them and checking those films off our lists and talking about them and whatever else happens to come up. I'm Canadian filmmaker Jeremy Lalonde, and I will be your host. You can follow me on Twitter at LalondeJeremy, or check out my website, JeremyLalonde.com, for more information on me and my projects. If you like the show, please subscribe to it, rate, review it, and leave a comment on whatever platform it is you're listening. It really does make a difference in helping to get more ears tuning in. And if you like this show, check out the others on the ThatShelf.com family of podcasts. And without further delay, let's get into this week's film. This is episode 91, and today I am joined by the lovely Kate Hewlett, who is an actor as well as a writer, a producer of television. Kate was in my film, Sex After Kids, and she has a really lovely cameo in my new film, The Go-Getters, which just came out. She's also been seen as an actor on The Stanley Dynamic, Murdoch Mysteries, Degrassi, Next Class. And if you haven't seen her short, She Said Lenny, Google it right now. Prepare to have your heart broken and filled in all the things. She's also a writer on countless things. Overall, super talented, beautiful human being. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. Is it... Uh, uh, is it... What? Oh, everyone, you can hear us all. Okay, okay. We, we can hear the dog's <laughs> stomach. <laughs> we can hear everything. Oh, you'll hear him doing sucky licky noises. That's okay. I apologize. It's not me. What is his name again? Dudley. Hey, Dudley. Dudley's joining us. Dudley's sleeping. So we're sitting down to watch Apocalypse Now. I'm Jeremy. I have seen the movie. I'm Kate, and I have not. I don't think I have. Uh-oh. I know. Uh-oh. I'm having some memory issues. That's okay. <laughs> so soon everything will be new again. That's okay. That's like my wife. My wife would watch something, and then tomorrow she would forget that she watched it. Yeah. Um... There have been some thrillers where I'm, like, so excited to see it, and then I start watching, and I'm like, this is all very familiar. <laughs> I've had that a couple of times. Like, even, I just um, I just um, joined up on this website called Letterboxd, which is basically, like, a way you can just store all of your movie journal-type things. Okay. Because I've been a, a, a nerd journaler for, like, 14 years. It's shocking to me. Uh, yeah, shocking to you. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I can finally digitize them all and put them all... But what's nice is it lets you rank them and put stats in so you can oh, see wow. what you've repeated and see your trends and stuff. Wow. Or just having them in notebooks you don't. So I have literally just over the last couple of weeks been transcribing all those notebooks into this thing huh. and realizing movies that I thought I hadn't seen. I was like, oh, I did see this 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I have zero memory of it, so how much did I really take away from it? And I don't, and, and, and so that's the last, and I don't think Apocalypse Now is in any of those, which means I haven't seen this movie in a very long time. Yeah, if I've ever seen it... It was a really long time ago. Yeah. I think the last time I saw I picked it up. I don't think I've ever bought the copy, the DVD I have. <laughs> I think I bought it going, oh, I should own this movie. And I don't think I've ever watched it since I picked it up. Yes, I understand. My whole DVD collection, I've not, never watched most of them. Yeah. Because the, the last thing I think I saw was the Redux version, which is not the version we're watching, Mm-mm. which is the much longer version. Although I remember when I did, I saw that when they put it in the theaters, and I did remember preferring it for some reason. Ah. I don't know why. It was the way you talked about it being over three hours that <laughs> made me choose the shorter version. Yeah, that's fair. Let's call it a creative choice. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
There's there's also a really great if uh, you you feel like just looking in after a documentary called Hearts of Darkness. Yes, which I also desperately want to see. That may be why I suggested this because I know I can't watch that until I've watched this. Yeah, it makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. Have you read the book? Yes. Okay. Well, so that's have... the real reason. Yeah. You mean the heart, heart of darkness? Yeah. Yeah. So Heart of Darkness, I studied in high school. And I think that's I think we why we all I've... did. Did we all? Yeah, Probably. We have, we're, yeah, we're the same, same curriculum, age, yeah. right? Um, the year we did Othello. Um, and I, I think I never watched this movie, if I never watched this movie, because I associated it with school. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that might be why. But I loved Heart of Darkness. Interesting. Yeah. But you hated the school association. It's like, you know... Reading, reading books for fun. Yeah. I stopped doing that after university. I've only recently started reading for fun again. And I realized, my like, I like to read. Yeah, I used like, to get up early just to read. Yeah. And I, and I don't do it anymore. And so I'm trying to start again, too. But yeah, yeah, it's like school. Not that I didn't enjoy school. It's just you associate certain things with work. And now I feel that way about scripts. I, mm. I think of reading screenplays as work. Yeah, well, that is. And I still like yeah. it, but it's work, you know? Yeah, but you don't do it for joy. But it's funny because no. I hadn't read for you. And I, did, I wasn't really an avid reader. I, I, I kind of was in my teens. I like to read a lot. And then I got out of it. And it's really just been the last five or six years I've really started to read a lot again. Hmm. Where, like, sometimes I'll, I've been known, like, when we go to our, our farm out in the country, I've sat in the hammock and read a whole book straight through. Wow. I read Ready Player One in one day. Wow. It's a 400-page book. Or five, I don't know. Bonkers. I heard that was a disappointing movie. I liked it. Oh. Yeah, it's it's very different from the book. Right. Like, the two go off in, like, drastically different paths. But I kind of dug it. I saw the movie also... I saw the movie before I read the book. Smart. So I think that helped. Where I think if I read the book first, I would have went... And then saw the movie. Because of those two different paths, I would have like, well, you didn't do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. But I was able to enjoy it as its own thing first. Okay. Uh, and I'm trying, and, and this is a pretty loose adaptation of Hearts of Darkness. Right. Apocalypse Now. Because. Yeah, they take it, they, uh, set it in Vietnam, right? Set it in Vietnam. Yeah. Where, where it's during, what war is it set during in the book? Do you remember? I don't know what war it is. I know it's set in the Congo. Yeah. That, and, that is still, well, the Congo for Vietnam. So it's still set in a jungle. Okay. So that is consistent. Although I don't, can't remember what, we could look it up, but that would yeah. require effort. <laughs> <laughs> And Dudley is very tired. <laughs> yeah. So what do you know about this movie besides... The horror. The horror. The very <laughs> Jewish Marlon Brando performance. I only have one voice I can do. <laughs> Two if you count my normal voice. Um, I don't know much about it, although I... I mean, I know it's based on Heart of Darkness, and I know that it's going to be a dark and depressing ride. Yeah. Tonight. It's, it's one of those fun war movies. Yeah. Woo. Real uplifting. Yeah. And I think it makes you feel bad about humanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Which is good because, you know, real life's not doing that right now. No. That's just it. This we is... should, at the, uh, when we take a pee break, yeah. we should just check out the election results. That's... You know, to lift Ooh. our spirits a little. <laughs> <laughs> During our aptly apocalypse now. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. On that note, shall we uh, shall we dive right in? Let's do it. All right. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we just finished. Oi. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> 
first impressions. We'll start with you. I feel like we should check the midterm election results and see if this... I don't know if that's going to help. <laughs> see if it makes it worse or better. Um, first impressions. I'm going to sound like an old person, but they don't make movies like they used to. They sure don't. It's interesting, though. You do, you still get, like... It's, you, you've, it's such a... A rite of passage, I think, for like big filmmakers to make like a war film. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's rare that I think the closest anyone's gotten in the last couple of years is um, Dunkirk. Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. I haven't seen it. It's great. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like Sam Mendes made Jarhead, which I think people have forgotten by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm trying to think of any other ones that are that are from the last five, ten years. And the only one that I think was really Successful in any way was Dunkirk because it told just a really simple, small story. This um, is this is different, but the the Netflix movie with Idris Elba. Okay. Did you see that? No. Which one? I can't remember the name of it. Am I allowed to use my phone? Yes. For the <laughs> internet. Um. It wasn't. You know, it's not a war movie. Right. But there were similarities, and it was. It was exquisite. Right. No, I don't know that one. Um, So, do you want some background on this movie? Sure. So, originally, it was supposed to be directed by George Lucas. Oh, geez. (laughs) Well, they were partners. George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola. They they were all working together. They were, like, buddies. Um, And so, this was... Uh, I mean, this this film was just riddled with problems. Mm-hmm. So originally, Coppola was uh, Francis, or sorry, George Lucas was supposed to direct it, and even um, so, this was shot. So it came out in '79. It took Coppola three years to edit it. I am not surprised. Uh, and they the original production schedule was for six weeks, and they <laughs> shot for sixteen months. Oh my god. <laughs> and, and Coppola was uh, on suicide watch at certain points throughout production. He lost 100 pounds from stress. Uh, that's all I need to do? Just, yeah, that's all you got to <laughs> do is just make a giant war film. Um, and wow. just so many things. So they had shot, so this came out in 79 after Star Wars, but they shot it, I don't know, way before. So Harrison Ford hadn't done Broken Amazing. Out yet. Right, so when he did this part, this is a small part for him. You know, he hadn't been Han Solo yet, but by the time it came out, he was. So then he was a star. So then it's almost a cameo. Yeah, it became a cameo. But even, he got to pick his own name, and if you look at it, his his patch says G. Lucas. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, As a tribute, because he had been in American Graffiti, which George Lucas also made. Yeah. So there's that. What else? What's the darkest thing George Lucas ever made? It was THX 1138, which was kind of like an art film. Uh, but, I mean, this is really it. I mean, he didn't do a ton of directing. He directed THX, uh, American Graffiti, the first Star Wars, and then the and then the prequels. And then he made this red something. Uh, it, was, it was a movie that he made after the prequels that was about, like, uh, an African-American military unit called Red Stripes or something like that. I have to look it up. Okay. But it's it's a movie that nobody talks about or remembers. I'm looking up. 
But but you got, you got to think too. It would have been a very different movie had Lucas. That's what I'm thinking. I mean, this is so bleak. Well, it's also kind of an art film. I mean, yeah, it's Coppola's, so slow. Coppola is more of an in artist. a wonderful way, right? Yeah. It moves very slowly. And there's in 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 the. In the I can't remember all the parts that are in the the redux, but there's a big like twenty thirty minute sequence where they end up at this French countryside home in the middle of the jungle, and they just stop and have like dinner with this family. And I think it's just after Lawrence Fishburne's death in the movie. I can't remember where, but so there's uh, basically one scene that makes it. Like, there's one chunk. There's one chunk that's like the big thing that we got cut out, but there's probably a lot of little things throughout. Beasts of No Nation. Yeah, I don't know the movie. You gotta see Beasts of No Nation. Okay. You could do that your own. This, yeah. Have you done it before where you haven't seen it? Oh, movie? lots, lots oh, of times. Okay, yeah, okay. I, I'm the virgin on a lot of these you things. You should watch Beasts of No Nation. Uh, and and what would the um, the scene at the with the the French couple uh, family does is provide context for the war. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a way, like it steps you out of like the war mentality, and it because really it's like. The only females in the movie are those USO girls. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very. But it feels very intentional. Yeah. And then that. the one at the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Yeah, just troubled with. I mean, the production was just. Uh, Martin Sheen had a heart attack while they were making the film, and his brother actually is doing some of the scenes. Oh my god! And some of the voiceover is not Martin Sheen. Like at the beginning of the narration, that's his brother doing it, filling in for him because he's got a similar voice. Uh, Did he win an Oscar? I don't think so. Who uh, Coppola? No, Martin Sheen. I don't even know he was nominated. That's one of the best performances I've ever seen. He's great. Uh, originally, Coppola wanted Al Pacino to do the part, and Al Pacino's like, "I know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to be there forever, and I don't want any part of that." <laughs> what if Dennis Hopper got Lawrence Fishburne addicted to heroin? Great. Production. Cool. <laughs> there cool. was uh, Brando got paid a million dollars up front to do it, and then they weren't sure if he was actually going to show up. At one point, he threatened to just take the money and fuck off. I wonder how many days he actually did. Not, well, not a lot, but he also got to set and refused to do, refused to read the script, didn't read the book, improvised pretty much most of his lines, uh, showed up 88 pounds heavier than they were expecting. With a shaved it's pretty, head. pretty interesting, though. With a shaved head. Jeez. Like, what they were expecting was the photo that you see at the beginning of the movie. But isn't it great that that's not what you get? Well, that's just it, right? It, it makes more sense with... Because the thing that I always... By the end of this movie, I'm just so exhausted. My brain's turning to mush. That I always forget, like, what is Kurtz's purpose for... Like, he's, just, he's seeing that he's gone too far? I think he's dying. Right. And he just wants a soldier's death. I, I don't know if that's true, but I, I got the impression that he was dying, and he doesn't want to go... Yeah, he wants a soldier's death. Yeah. That scene is so brutal, especially when it's juxtaposed with that cow. I did not watch that part. Oh, it's... This, I, this I was is gonna, a little I, insight into me. I watched the parts where Marlon Brando's getting hacked... But then, as soon as it goes to the cow, I would close my eyes. Good. I was gonna. Warn, I was like. Them. I was gonna warn you as it was coming up. I was yeah. like, you might wanna, but you instinctively knew. And especially since I was like, "Hey, that cow reminds me of Dudley, my dog." Oh, as soon as you said that, I was like, "Don't think of it that way." Because that's exactly how he walks down the stairs. Yeah, my dog hops downstairs. 
yeah, and that and that's all real too. Yeah, didn't I? I thought it could be real, and I didn't want to watch that. Ugh. How are they allowed to do that for real? Because all bets are off. It's the seventies. It's how many cows did they kill? Just the one. Jeez. And I think, and I and I would have to read this up. I'm I'm probably making this up, but I believe that they did it properly in the terms of like the people that did it was in a sacrificial way that they normally would have done it. It was nothing that was out of the ordinary for the for it that to happen to a cow under there's the right a, circumstances. There's a, there's a ceremony. There's a great it. deal of yeah. There's a great deal of respect and and yeah. I and, mean, and I'd rather probably. Go that way then at uh, yeah. It wasn't first. like oh man, the light wasn't great. Bring in the next cow. <laughs> That's I think, what I'm wondering. No, I think I think it was the kind of thing where they had <laughs> bring in Wilma. <laughs> no, yeah, they had all the other. Ca- they had enough cameras going at once. It was like we're doing this once, and under the right guys with the right supervision of the right people. I mean, it's still a horrible, horrific thing to shoot. Uh, and little known fact, they also killed Marlon Brando. For yeah. Real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a real. They were so angry. But they did do that twice. They, they had to do it twice. But luckily, <laughs> he was superhuman, so yeah, he had he, an extra life. He was able to. And also, up. he was huge. Fuck. Wow. Um. I I didn't find it exhausting, but I found it incredibly sad. Oh yeah. There were a couple of places where I'm like. Where I was like, if I was alone right now, <laughs> I would cry my eyes out. Because <laughs> it just is, yeah, just bleak about humanity and all of that. I, the, the part where he was talking about judgment, about judging, and how that's the worst thing you can do, made me think about the way things are right now. And how everything is so divided. And the, the further apart you get, the worse it gets. You just have, like, I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing how stuff like the you would sadly you'd think forty years later, uh, I'm sure that the filmmakers at that point would be like, "Oh, we're gonna have our shit figured out," mm-hmm. and no, we're still making the same mistakes, mm-hmm. and the world hasn't necessarily gotten better. No, and the masculinity too. I mean, how interesting to to watch raw masculinity like that with no female characters in the whole movie essentially which is actually it was very interesting but it's it's the dark side of masculinity right and how but you also have to have that that's that's Otto, you have it's, to have it's like realistic and, yeah it's realistic to the situation mm-hmm. they were in you know the way that they treat the they cat call the uso girls um yeah, the only females in the movie are the the, the playmates mm-hmm. and uh, the female um, Vietnamese women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, but that's what it would have been as well. And if they made that movie now, I feel like they would have had the families. You would have you would have seen him go home to Marlon Brando's family and deliver the. That's that's what I feel like is done poorly now. Is they do a lot of rounding it out in ways. even in. Um, was it Zero? No, not Zero Dark Thirty. Hurt Locker? Even in Hurt Locker. I thought that that was such a brilliant movie, except the part where you went home with him. Yeah. yeah you don't need that. You just it's need so him, unnecessary. You get him floating away from the uh, at the end, and you get the sense that he's leaving. Yeah. It was and a brilliant story. And they're, they're going to bomb that entire, all those people. Were they? Well. I wasn't sure. Because not, he didn't answer. I thought did, maybe maybe he, he's going to not do 
what Kurtz wants him to do. You would hope, because also, it's like he doesn't need to, really. No. It's just Dennis Hopper stuck there now, and the soldiers. Because there are American soldiers there, it's like his troop. They didn't really tie up Dennis Hopper, did they? I guess he's just lost his... He's lost his fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's a bit far gone. I got the impression that he was not going to blow them all up. No, same here, because he doesn't need to. He completed his mission. He killed Kurtz. They didn't say wipe out Kurtz and his army. They, they said, said terminate the mission. Didn't, uh, terminate the... Um, the leadership. Or some, something to that effect. The mission was to terminate, terminate. Kurtz's leadership. The that leadership. wasn't the word. I can't remember. But yeah, I don't think... I don't... I don't ever got the impression his mission was to destroy the camp. Because if that was the case, then as soon as he located him, they could have just called in the, the planes, the bombs to come in and bomb the place. Yeah. Really. And that's what they would do. I mean, look at the way that they treated every single place they went to. That Robert, that whole Robert Duval thing. That I mean, sequence is just... I mean, just, in, I mean, just from when you look at it just from a story point of view and you're like, holy fuck. Uh, and then you think of it as from a technical point of view of filmmaking, and it's like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, it's it, both are equally... Yeah, it's like, because you turned to me at the end of it, and it's like, was that just for them to land the boat and go surfing? It's like, yeah. All of that happened just so they could put that boat in that water. And really, the only reason they put the boat in the water there is because uh, Robert DeVolle's character knew that there was good waves there for surfing. Mm-hmm. And everyone else is like, it's hairy there, man. It's really tough. He's like, yeah, it's worth it. Six foot waves, worth it. What, a, what an excellent character that is, too. Yeah. Because you believe, you buy him. Even though yeah. I'm sure that it's a slight exaggeration, the way he never flinches. It was almost, I, this is so pretentious of me, but it was there was almost a sort of Jesus Christ thing going on. Like, he couldn't be touched. He was standing when everyone else was down, and he never got hit by anything. And he's no. totally fearless. And there's even a, a line of narration where Martin Sheen talks about that. He's like, he's like, this is the kind of guy that's going to walk away from this war without a scratch yeah. on him. Jeez. And also the storytelling, right? The hero's journey. It's just one, it's one story. It's one track. And it's just a journey. Yeah. Like as far as storytelling goes, how perfect is that? It's just him going up the river. Yeah. Beginning, middle, end. The journey begins. The, you know, the, the there's there are problems on the journey, and the journey ends. Yeah, it's very simple. It's incredibly simple and incredibly satisfying. Yeah, and then all the shit that goes wrong along the way. Nobody, nobody really comes back from that trip, in in a way. No, like you've got the the surfer guy. Even though Martin Jean grabs him at the end, like that guy's gone. Yeah, you know. And then everyone else in the boat. The only person you're, I'm really, you're really sad about from anywhere from me, I was, was Chef. When when Sheen's in that whatever little hovel, Kurtz has got him in, and then Chef's head just lands on his lap. Oh, I didn't care about that character at all. I didn't care about him, but I also felt like the poor guy just wanted to cook. Like what, what was he doing? He was just waiting on the boat. He wasn't hurting anybody. It wasn't like he was coming in. Yeah, but s- his whole purpose there was to send in the, to blow the place up. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, and I guess I, that's why. And I think he left him to die. Why did he take the other guy and leave Chef? Well, Chef was dead. 
No, no, no. Sorry, not at the end. He left one guy in the boat and took one guy with him, and he made that choice of who to take with him and who to leave behind. Well, to be fair, though, that other guy was in no position. No shape to be no making any decisions. That's true. <laughs> That's like, true. You're not going to leave that guy on the boat to call That's in true. an airstrike. Although, he, I don't know. If he didn't really tiger have guy, a, I wouldn't want Tiger Guy calling in an airstrike either. He was at least in his wits. Not he much, lost not, his wits pretty quickly. Yeah. What happened to the puppy? The, I don't think it ended well for the puppy, but I'm glad we didn't see that. But then no. I was also wondering if they really killed that cow when they were like doing tug of war with that puppy. Was that real? Oh, yeah. No. Oh, um, well, how else would they have? It looked a little fake at points. No, that's a real. Oh, that's awful. I hate people. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure. Because that, that dog is moving around. They uh, Not the whole time. I don't know. I don't look at it again. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, Kate. Can we just say it was a yes, toy? it was a toy, <laughs> and they added those sounds afterwards. Ugh. Actually, and that, that whole boat, that was real. All that, that happened in that sequence was just documentary style. <laughs> they, that, he, they didn't kill any of the ducks. The ducks made it, seemed to make it. But even that moment, because you, you have Martin Sheen say, it's like, I told you guys not to stop. Yeah. You know? And uh, Also, that was sort of a mercy kill, right? Kind of. To some extent, there was... they Yeah, because the girl got shot up. She was running for, the, for what we later learned as the puppy. But, of course, you know, we saw it earlier in the Robert Duvall sequence when that one girl runs towards the helicopter and throws a bomb and blows it up. That it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like you've got to react. At first, you're like, what Clean is doing, Lawrence Fishburne's character. You're like, oh, fuck, he should not be shooting up that boat. But it's like, protocol would be to shoot it yeah. up, like... She's doing something that seems very questionable. Yeah, I thought he panicked. But but then it's true. He did it because she ran. Yeah. But then then um, the the driver says that we got to get her somewhere. She's only injured. She's not dead. And Sheen shoots her in the head. Yeah, but she would have died. We don't know that. I think it's more that he's like, we don't have time for that. We don't have time for this, yeah. I, I That's yeah. how I read it. I think you But can... it's also he does what needs to be done. Yeah. Without thinking twice. No, he would never, he, but he also said right after he does it, he's like, I told you guys not to stop. Mm-hmm. Like, we should never have even... None of that should have happened. Interacted, none of this should have happened. So he's kind of justifying his, uh, his actions at that point, throwing it out under the bus. The only person I felt really sad about was, was Lawrence Fishburne's character. Clean? Oh, That was sequence. a good first person to, to kill. Yeah, and the way his his the the his mom's oh my gosh, his mother's playing. voice playing. What a brilliant movie! Every single moment, and every single shot, and the light, and the I mean, it's it's the scope of it's phenomenal. Just said we were talking. I, I made a comment when we were watching it where they're just going down, going up the river, and there's like a helicopter on fire in a tree. <laughs> it's like someone had to put that there, and the the naked man. With all his bits hanging from the tree behind them when they're just having a normal... Like they're having a scene, a two-person scene, and there's a dead body hanging in the background. And then, in a later scene, it just falls. Yeah, just drops. Just casually. Fuck. It's incredible. Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. But also, so the three hours of editing, he had shot 200 hours of footage. To, uh, to but then it all through. feels so perfect, you know? Yeah. Because I heard, um, did you go see Jean-Marc Vallée speak? 
No. So when Jean-Marc Ballet was here for TIFF, I went to hear him speak, and he was talking about how in Sharp Objects, and, and his style in general, how he just shoots, he shoots and shoots and shoots and doesn't cut, and kind of puts it together later. But you can almost tell. Like, sometimes there are, in, in Sharp Objects, sometimes there are storytelling problems, because it's not quite as well thought out because they're catching things and, you know, but with this, it almost feels like every single moment was perfectly scripted before. Do you know what I mean? And I know that's not the case, but I think that's probably also because of how simple the story is. That's true. That you can just allow for these tangents and then you can, and you always have just the simplest of structure to come back to. Yeah. You know, I think that's the trick to that. Is the it, spine. If right? you have the a really simple through boat. line yeah. uh, that you're not worrying about tracking like a B story or a C story. Yes. Imagine then, if they were cutting away to... <laughs> well, to somebody else or cutting away... His, cutting, his family. Cutting back to the generals or ch- him checking in with them. You it's never like go back to anyone. Isn't that amazing? He's just encountering people along the way. You never revisit Robert Duval or you never... Right? Like, they're just parts of his journey. Little stops along the way. Yeah, and, and, and but they each represent a different part. Like you got, you know, the Robert Duvall character kind of represents for me kind of like the sense, just like how in over the top so much of this stuff was, and for what, you know, they're they're just a small part in this mission, but they wreak havoc and destroy the lives of this small little port village where they land, just to land a boat and ride the surf. Yeah, you know, and that night they're all rewarded with their steaks and their beer mm-hmm. and. For just getting a boat in the water. Mm-hmm. And then they all go back and they do it again the next day. And also flying that cow out to eat it. Yeah. The, the one that they lift up in the helicopter and then you see them eating. Yeah. It's just... You know, and then you've got the, a great line of dialogue after the USO show where uh, Martin Sheen makes a comment about how it's like, you know, Charlie doesn't have R&R. Mm-hmm. His R&R is cold rice. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Mm-hmm. And this is the way we fight war is so different than how they fight war. He makes an interesting observation, too, after the Duval sequence about how, you know, they, they ship in all these comforts from home, but it doesn't necessarily help. It just makes you miss it more. Yeah, the more they make it feel like home, the more they miss home. Yeah. And he never partakes in any of that. No. Martin the Sheen. beer he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the drugs, the, the uh, cigarettes and alcohol, but the but none of the... None of the other stuff. Even with the women, the way he reacts to the women, the the um, Playboy yeah. bunnies, like he has a completely. He's very removed. He's observing their the guy's behavior and what they're doing, and yeah, he's because he's, he's. I think for him, it's just like this is not helping him. Yeah, you know, he would rather just be. Cause they're just disguising the brutality of the war. I also got the impression he'd done it all before. He's made all those mistakes before. He's been the person who storms the stage to get an autograph. He's been the person who... I yeah. feel like he's... He's once removed, yeah. Because hey, this is not his first tour, right? Right. He says at the beginning that he's like, he went home and talked to his wife long enough to agree to a divorce. Yeah. You know? And now he's back and he doesn't feel like he belonged there and he doesn't feel like he belongs where he is now. That reminded me of The Hurt Locker. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common soldier story mm-hmm. where you, after seeing some of the horrors of what you see, you don't fit in anywhere. 
Especially that war. Because that was the war that rewrote all wars, right? They didn't, there was no, it wasn't like World War Two or One where it's, it's Christmas Day, we're going to stop and, uh, and hang out. And tomorrow we'll resume. Oh, well, and know? it was a huge failure. Yeah, because they went in completely under, not knowing who their enemy was and what they're capable of and what they were willing to do. Yeah. You know, they weren't wearing uniforms that let you know who they were. Apparently, there is a documentary about that war that everyone's talking about. I think it's on Netflix about Vietnam War, which I would love to watch because I actually know very, very little about it. I think most of what I know about it is just from uh, from movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's like we didn't really learn about that in her history classes. I never did American history. No, neither did I. I and we and we yeah. had zero. We didn't have any involvement in Vietnam, right? Canada, yeah, zero. Yeah, we knew. It's like that's bullshit. Whatever's going on over there, we want zero part of. I mean, I, I you know what, I, I can't say anything about it with authority because I actually don't. Well, no, I know. Like the biggest thing was like, there was the draft dodgers were people coming here. Like mm-hmm. there were so many people that escaped to Canada, to to escape the Vietnam War. Yeah, so a lot of those guys would have been sent. It's awful. Yeah. Uh, what else? We were talking about the budget. You were asking, is like in today's st- in today's money was around one hundred and ten million. So you said it was what thirty? Thirty one and a half. Thirty one and a half million. According to the interweb, uh, which give or take. <laughs> And every penny shows up. I yeah. mean, it looks expensive as shit. Well, it looks like well, it looks like a documentary. It's in a lot of it. It looks like, and he, and that's why I say that, especially that sequence with the Robert Duvall character, where you're like, they're they're blowing up a little village. Like they would have had to build that, you know, and then to build it just to destroy it because it looks like they're just storming. It looks like they're just even the very beginning, the very very beginning where you're. All the bombing of the fort, like the Jesus. trees that were destroyed, the gasoline. Yeah, it's insane. Like the amount of destruction they went through in, in natural landscape they destroyed just to make this movie look the way it looks is, and that's why it's like the scope of it. It looks, it looks like documentary because part of it is the way it's shot, um, but also because you're like, the, how would you organize? Because they created their own circumstances and then shot them. I mean, it, like the cow, if that's real, they, they, they were creating these circumstances and shoot. Like, you can't just burn down a, a forest now. <laughs> I don't think no. you'd be allowed to do that now. No. Is it definitely, was it definitely real? What was real? The cow? No, no, not the cow. The beginning, the, the forest, the trees. Oh, yeah. They didn't have special effects like we have now. Like, they, they, nobody's making those fires in, in the post house. You know, all those people, all those extras, all that's real. This is, you know, this is 40 years ago. God. Technology had not come that far along in terms of creating stuff like that. Like, yeah, all that fire was real. Unless unless someone else knows differently, but that's... Uh, I'm going to watch Heart, her, uh, what's Hearts, of, Hearts Darkness of Darkness. Hearts of Darkness, yeah. <clears throat> is the, uh, yeah. Duvall was Oscar nominated. He was only in the movie for 11 minutes. He was pretty great. He's really great in it. 
Um, I'm just going through the, the trivia bits, anything I forgot. Yeah, Coppola, they went so over budget that he uh, he invested several million dollars of his own money in the film. He had to mortgage his house and, and winery to finish it. Hard to feel bad for him, though, isn't it? Yeah. He had to put his own millions. Dip into his own millions. <laughs> no, but I mean, was... it's, it's a... It's a... But he, yeah, but that, that's a really, really fascinating um, documentary because you get, there's not really any any uh, holding back. Here's the, the water buffalo slaughter in the film is real. The scene was inspired by a ritual performance by a local, if you, I'm not going to pronounce that properly, if you go tribe, which Coppola had witnessed along with his wife and film crew, although it was an American production subject to American animal cruelty laws, Scenes filmed in the Philippines were not policed nor monitored. The American Humane Association gave the film an unacceptable rating. That makes sense. They hacked an actual buffalo to pieces. I'm sure they ate it. They did not eat it. After? They did not eat a buffalo that they hacked to pieces. You don't think so? No. What do you think Coppola sat down and... Tied a little napkin around his neck? That would not surprise me. I don't know. Brando refused to read Heart of Darkness. Coppola spent several days on set reading it out loud to Brando on set. (laughs) I want want that life. (laughs) He's like, read it to me. Just read it to me. Was he nominated for an Oscar? I can look all that up. Uh, Brando's notorious for being a dick, though. What a what a performance though! Oh my so god! Good. But does it justify being an asshole? I don't know. Kind of. <laughs> uh, it won for best sound. It won for cinematography. the sound was. I actually never noticed sound, and the sound was one of the best things I've ever. Well, heard. just stuff like when he's in his his hotel room in the beginning, and he's just looking at the the fan, and it's the helicopter, the helicopter. sound. Just beautiful use. And of. that sort of circus, creepy circus music in the scene where the bridge with the lights. Do you notice that? There's like the kind of yeah. So one for sound and cinematography, and that's it. It was nominated for best picture. What one best picture? That year, I have to look it up. Oh God. What did win? The silly Oscars. The silly Oscars. I'm going to look it up. Okay. This is really interesting for people. Siri. Hey, Siri. Who won the Oscar for Best Picture in 1980? Kramer versus Kramer won the Oscar for Best Picture. Yeah, that's fair. That's a great movie. Yeah, so there you go. What a different movie. (laughs) Yeah. And that's interesting because now it's like... Uh, it, it's it's funny because they're also not making films like Kramer vs. Kramer anymore. No. You know, so it's interesting. It's interesting that like a film like Kramer vs. Kramer would probably not win, not even be nominated now. You know? I don't know if that's true. Because things like The Big Sick. Not, that wasn't nominated for Best Picture. But Best Screenplay and... Yeah, but that's common. Best Screenplay always goes to indie... Or is always like full of indie darling categories. That's where they throw it. That in acting categories. But it's like, but it's very different. I mean, you look at the movies that were like, you know, Annie Hall won Best Picture mm-hmm. in 77. And it was up against Star Wars. Yeah. You know? But look at Moonlight. 
I don't know. I feel like the smaller the smaller movies are getting. Oh, that's fair. Now, yeah, now the last it's coming two back to around. three years, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was maybe that... it's like Avatar was the was the peak the of the breaking point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like things but also, need to change. You know, the Miramax years of them just playing the the nominee games and flooding money into it and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. They've kind of now they're in this weird place where. You know, people don't necessarily care about the Oscars, and they're trying to make them feel relevant again. You know, this year they they announced and then retracted. I think that most popular film category. No. Do you hear about this? No. They they announced that they were adding a category called most popular film, but I think and then there was huge ripples and backlash, and it seems like they haven't said they're not doing it, but it sounds like they're not incorporating it this year because they're still be trying to figure idea, it out. Because then you could give that to the box office. Yeah. Like, I mean, then give that to Black Panther, which would have probably been one of the... Was it the top grossing movie of the year? It would be one of those kind of movies. But not the best... But it shouldn't be a Best Picture nominee. So it's like things things that are incredible to watch, epic, great special effects, fun, all of that. Yeah. You have a category for that that's separate. Because even... um, Gravity was it? Gravity? Yep. Even that year, it was like okay, that this is groundbreaking, but, but it's, it's not, not the best movie. No, exactly. Yep, and I think I think they're just trying to find ways to get people to tune in that yeah. uh, that would not necessarily tune in. And best buy. smooch. That's yeah. Well, then it's becomes the knows. it's the MTV Awards, right? Yeah. Essentially. Uh, so yeah, there was a big hubbub over that, which is understandable because I mean, but we have that in Canada. We have what is the golden. Like a golden box office award that goes out every year. Really? Yeah. I can't remember what it's called. But she, but for the longest time it was the um what was those music. It means jo- that you ran at the Carlton for two weekends. No, no, it was going it was going to like stuff like Resident Evil. Which oh, were I con- see. Okay. which were considered co productions. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's like that kind of stuff. We we, we, we have those in uh I wasn't shitting on the Canadian film industry. I think there's some wonderful Canadian films. I don't think we do a great job of publicizing them. Well, there's just... We also don't own our theaters. No. And our theaters... The, the problem with... The real reason why we have a problem publicizing them is because the theaters that are still willing to play them give you, like, maybe a two- to three-week heads-up that there's a slot open, and now your film screening. Oh, so now really? you have three weeks to figure your marketing strategy. So we're kind of set up to fail in a lot yes. of ways, yeah, unfortunately. It's nice. it's nice. But that's just it. And that's <laughs> why I was like, why, doesn't some people, why don't we come up with better marketing strategies? It's like, well, because they don't care to give us. It's rare. Like, yeah, but I, how do we get our own movies into the bigger theaters? Well. How do we create a market that is commercial? It's impossible in terms of theatrical because Americans own the Canadian cinemas. Right, but... And Something like once played in all the big cinemas, right? Like, can't you do? Can't there be? Can't you make? Yeah, but good once, quality commercial films that can compete with the American ones. Yeah, but then once went on. Didn't one once win like Sundance or something like that? You've got to have, you know, small movies like that break through because they win major awards at festivals. It's that. So why can't we make those? Because we haven't. We just haven't. Yeah. You know, our films haven't done that. I mean, some have. We have have success stories coming out of Canada. But then those people instantly leave here. 
No. I mean, Sarah Polly. There, there are examples of people who are, are fiercely Canadian. That's true. Yep. See, I mean, Sarah got nominated for Best Oscar for Screenwriting. Best Oscar. Best Oscar for <laughs> Best Screenwriting Oscar. Yeah. <laughs> the Best Oscar Award. <laughs> I want that one. That's a good one. Um... Yes, so there are there are a few, but but more but she's an exception to the rule, not yes. the rule, but exception to the do. yeah. Most people, but there's still there's some great like uh, Alain Mustai, you know, he's a, a big writer that he chooses to stay here. You mean Ilan, who I went to Queen's University with, ah, and did one. Oh no, I didn't actually. I was going to say I did one sketch show with them, but I actually didn't. I chickened out. <laughs> they asked me to to do. Um, to join them for their... Was it sketch or improv? I think they asked me to do improv with them, and I chickened out. Why? Because I just thought, I'm going to fail. So I didn't do it. Can you imagine? You know where I could be today? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, he's lovely. He's a great guy. He had dreadlocks the whole time I went to Queens with him. I believe that entirely. Yeah, like amazing dreads. Hilarious. He lives right. He lives... Uh, he's practically my neighbor. He's a very, he's a great guy. Lovely human being. And a really good writer. Um, what else? Final thoughts? Final thoughts on Alain? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Final thoughts. I, uh, as a writer, it makes me think about the simplicity of storytelling and of a satisfying structure and to remember how simple something can be and still be satisfying. Um, as an actor, it makes me jealous. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just, what a, God, what a, what a ride to be able to do something like that. Yeah. It's a, it's a movie full of phenomenal performances from every, I mean, you, and they have the freedom to do their own thing too. I mean, that's what you can really see that. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. I, to be honest, it's probably a terrible thing to say, but to be honest, I actually didn't think Dennis Hopper was that great. Because to me, he felt like he was acting more than anyone else. He's doing his thing. He's just doing his thing. Yeah, yeah, same as the guy that played Chef. It's like his his over the he he was the one that feels a bit over the top. Yeah, but you also buy it. Acting. But you also buy it for that's also the thing is like it's hard to to go. Yeah, it feels like acting in some moments for some of those I didn't guys. Chef, actually, he was okay. But you also go, fuck man, I don't know what you've seen, like. Yeah. Some of the, you know, it, it, it's, it's a context that I don't quite understand. The one thing that's missing from the film for me is, um, even though they talk about it, they, there's all the exposition off the top. The big, raunchy sex scene. The big, raunchy sex scene <laughs> between Kurtz and the bull. Oh. Um, no. It's just more of a, a context of what Kurtz is doing that's so terrible that they need to send in... Uh, Multiple assassins. Yeah. Because we learned halfway through the movie that this is not the first time they've, tried, they've done this, and Kurtz converted the last guy. I thought that it was just because he switched sides. Yeah, but then, then who cares unless he's doing, he's up, they said he started going rogue, and he, he you know, he killed those four people. He had um, a whole army. He formed a whole army. But what, what's he doing with that army? Just hanging in the jungle? Who's he hurting? Well... There were bodies of, there were bodies of. Yeah, he's just slaughtering everyone. people. He was slaughtering people. It didn't matter who they were. But they're slaughtering people. But even like Sheen says that, it's like, what's the difference between what Kurtz is doing and That's what Robert Duvall just did? 
Yeah, there's no difference. There's yeah. no difference. Yeah, that's, what is he, that's the whole point, right? There's that other great line of, of voiceover where he says, you know, calling, you know, accusing someone of murder here is like giving out, you know, uh, speeding tickets at the Indy 500. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all uh, murdering. Yeah. That's what they're there to do. But it's different when it's an order. When it's an order, it's not murder. Then you're serving your country. But when, but when Kurtz, and, and that's kind of the point of the movie is like, when a soldier just makes a choice for themselves, all of a sudden they're, they're no longer a soldier. Now you're, yeah. now what you're doing is bad. Now you're a murderer. Now you're a murderer because yeah. you decided to do that. And if you switch sides, then you're the, you're the worst of the worst, right? Even if you don't, because it's, it's, you don't really get the sense that he switched, switches sides so much as you just start doing what he thinks is right. In which case. I don't think it was about right. I think it was about these are better soldiers, right? That moment of hack, that when he talks about hacking off the arms of the children after they were inoculated. Is that right? Is that the right word? Yes. Um, that he realized that these, are, these soldiers are better soldiers than ours. So I want them. Right? Isn't yeah. that sort of... Yeah, that's true. I don't think it's about right and wrong. No, and I don't think, and that's what I mean. I don't think it's about him choosing a side. It's like he's creating a third option. He's right. creating his own third thing, and, yeah. and that is the rule. That it's like a soldier is not committing murder when they're a soldier, and, and they're doing an order someone else gives them. But the moment they create their own order, is like now you're a murderer. Yeah, which is it's a very fine line. Yeah. Can we watch a comedy next time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? A, a couple of times I, during this, I thought about Tropic Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pop it in right now. <laughs> yeah. Double bill. Where I was like, I think that's, that would be a good palate cleanser. Have you after. seen it? Yes, I love that movie. We have, we have to find someone who hasn't. Oh, it's absurd. Tropic Thunder funny. is, I haven't watched it in forever, oh, but God. I love that movie. Oh, would you like taking the results? I'm sorry. I wanted to. Don't. I don't want to know. All right. Well, thanks for coming over. The Democrats are set to take the House, but Republicans hold the Senate. Uh, yeah. What did we expect? More of the, I guess that just feels like more of the same. All right. We'll wrap this up and then Let's we'll... Let's move we'll... to Switzerland! Woo-hoo! All right. Well, thanks for coming over. Thank you. Thanks for having me and my dog, who may be dead downstairs. Yeah, we'll find out. Like a bull in the... Hopefully not. Okay. He's big. You're dragging him out. Let's all go to the Thanks for joining us for Apocalypse Now. Black Hole Films is a proud member of the That Shelf Podcast Network. You can listen to other episodes of our show and other That Shelf podcasts on thatshelf.com. Please subscribe, leave comments, spread the word, do all the things that let others know you like the show and how they can check it out. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook and join the group Black Hole Films. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.